I'll be reading from Galatians 6, verses 11 through 18. In your pew Bible, this will be page 1037, 1037. See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. Those who desire to make a good showing in the flesh try to compel you to be circumcised simply so that they will not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For those who are circumcised do not even keep the law themselves, but they desire to have you circumcised so that they may boast in the flesh. But may it never be that I would boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither is thy circumcision anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And those who will walk by this rule, peace and mercy, be unto them and unto the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause trouble for me, for I bear on my body the brand marks of Jesus Christ. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brethren. Amen. Good morning. It is good to see each of you. If you're visiting with us this morning, thank you so much for being with us. You being here is an encouragement to us, and we hope that we can be an encouragement to you also. The word grace is a very beautiful word. As a matter of fact, it's one of those words that just seems to never lose its purity. It's, it's not changed over the ages as many English words or even words of various languages have changed. As we think about this word, I want you to think about very positive words that we think of in relation to this of grace. Before we eat a meal, oftentimes people will say, let's say grace. Or if we are really appreciative of something, we say we're grateful for that. Or when we think about the aspect of being gratified of some kind of news or something that brings joy to our life. Or with a success, we talk about congratulated. Or if we talk about a host that has done very well, we say that he or she is gracious. Or when we want to reward service, we talk about or with publishers that send out subscriptions beyond the area of uh, call that great even in this epistle in Galatians we know that he said that they had fallen from grace to describe a hopeless state of which they were in or when someone they're an ingrate, or skipping down another one, we say there's no saving grace in their life. Or when someone has lost honor in their life, we might say that they have uh, created a disgrace in their life or in their family. And when someone has offended the U.S., it's called persona non grata, and that is to say a person with no grace. As a matter of fact, many of you probably saw an article uh, that made uh, national attention recently as one of the national advisors to the president was being scolded for speaking against 
uh, this administration. And that was the title of the article that made many newspapers and, and many publications uh, and even online and etc. When we think about this idea of grace, we're thinking about something that was so beautiful. In his 13 letters that he wrote, he couldn't start a letter without talking about grace, and he couldn't end a letter without talking about grace. There are many references there, and in his salutations of greetings or salutations of closings, both times he emphasized the great and beautiful aspect of grace that's brought into the lives of Christians. He wanted grace on their journey, no matter where they lived. And friends, this morning... I hope you and I realize that we're on a journey. And just as Paul was writing to individuals that he knew that they were on a journey from this earth into heaven, he wanted grace to be a part of their journey, knowing that without that, they could not make that journey. And so oftentimes he spoke of the grace to you and peace from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. That is listed in every one of the beginning of Paul's epistle. You see, that is a combination of the Greek salutation. The Hebrew salutation would have been primarily peace, and the Greek would have spoken much of grace. And so Paul brought together what would have been a part of the heritage of the Jews, but with a strong emphasis, of course, of Christ being the greatest demonstration of grace. And to every letter that he wrote, he wrote of peace and grace to you. The closing of every one of these letters, he also emphasized in many various forms, but he always emphasized grace. Look back again at the text that was so capably read for us, and let's look now at Galatians the 6th chapter in verse 18. Notice this closing, Galatians the 6th chapter in verse 18. He says, Brethren, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. When we think about the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that too is what John wanted us to realize. If you have your Bible, turn to John the first chapter. Let's look at a couple of verses in John the first chapter as we think about how important it is to understand the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. As you're turning there, I want to remind you that the word grace simply means unmerited favor. In other words, you and I have received grace from many people. Sometimes we receive grace from a stranger. Maybe you have uh, run out of gas on the side of the road and someone stopped by and they helped you. They didn't know you. They were not repaying you for anything. And they helped you with the problems that you were having. That was grace. It was unmerited favor. They were not doing that because they owed you something. And, and we see that in our families. We see that in friendships. We see it in strangers. We also see it in the many ways that God shows us grace. But for just a moment, let's see and recognize the fact that probably all of us know, but still let's see it from the Scripture. The greatest demonstration of grace that has ever been shown to mankind is the giving of Jesus Christ for our salvation, for our benefit. When John wanted to describe the life of Jesus, the gospel of John, question would be, where would he start? Unlike some of the other Gospels that begin of Jesus being born and his entrance into this world as a baby, he doesn't begin there. He begins with more of an explanation to say, let me help you realize who Jesus is. Now, as he does this, 
Let's skip down to verse 14. And for 13 verses, he's beautifully portrayed who Jesus is. And look at 14, and he says, And the Word, and the Word there is talking about Jesus. That's why it's capitalized W there. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And John says, And we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Notice the measure of grace when Jesus came to this earth. Never before had mankind seen the full measure of grace. Now you know that when something is completely full, you can't add any more to it. And so the idea here is Jesus Christ is the full measure of grace. There's never been and never will be a greater measure of grace demonstrated to mankind. He's full of grace, but also he's the full measure of truth. Now notice how this ties in in verse 17. I want to go ahead and read 16. It's not on the screen, but then we'll look. In 16, he says, in his fullness, all and grace for grace. You see, we measure. It wasn't a selfish act where Jesus came to this earth for some benefit of his own. There was no benefit personally for Jesus to come to this earth. He no doubt loved us and wanted to do that for us, but it was for us. It was to obey the will of his Father. It was not something that was going to bring great reward to his life, except because of his love for us and the Father. And so now let's notice verse 17. For the law was given through Moses. Now, if you have been here for several weeks, you know we've been studying the book of Galatians. And for 13 lessons, we've been looking at, at the entire book of Galatians. And so here we have the law mentioned. And that's so appropriate as we're studying the book of Galatians because their struggle was trying to blend some of the aspects of the old law with that of the new law. And he says, for the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Now note this. There is a channel by which grace and truth travels that it did not travel under the old ways. Under the old ways, God communicated to mankind through Moses and through that law. And so if man wanted to find God's favor, he had to find it through submitting to the law that was given through Moses. But now the fullness of grace, the fullness of truth has come through Jesus Christ. Through Christ, you and I find that fullness of grace and that fullness of truth. Now let's go back to our text and let's look at Galatians the sixth chapter with this in mind of it's through Jesus that we find this fullness of grace. Look if you will in Galatians the sixth chapter and let's look at verse 15. Remember we just left a passage that talked about it being through Christ. Now let's read about in Christ. The same idea here. For in Christ Jesus... Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything. But, and implied here, what does avail something, what really avails everything, is whether or not what? We are a new creation. How appropriate to end the book of Galatians. The book where false teachers have come in and tried to pull in some of the Judaizing ways with the way of Jesus Christ. Let's pull in some of the feast days. Let's pull in some of the rituals. Let's pull in circumcision and let's make that a part of our newfound Christianity. And Paul writes the book of Galatians and says, you've left the gospel. Stop leaving it. Go back to Christ and Christ only. And so summing this up, as if to make sure if it hasn't already been perfectly clear, he says it in a way that could not be more clear. As he says, 
circumcision or not circumcision. It doesn't matter to Jesus Christ. You want to have the fullness of grace and truth? That's not an issue. That's not a concern. What is? You mean to tell me that we no longer have to be converted to Judaism, that we don't have to practice this act of circumcision, and then we can arrive into our relationship with Jesus Christ? You mean we don't have to do that? If we don't do that, then what do we do? And he says, become a new creation. Friends, I need to realize that the grace of God does so much for us. And one of the things that the grace of God does for us is that through Christ, we can become something new. We can rise above our fleshly and carnal nature. And we can have a relationship with God that is pure and close to God on this earth and for an eternity. And so as we think about this relationship of grace that changes lives, I'd like for us to look at three passages that speaks of grace. But each of these passages are chosen because each of these passages helps us to realize that once we learn this lesson of grace that we are to receive, it's supposed to change our life so that we reflect that same thing. Look with me, if you will, as we go to 2 Corinthians, the 8th chapter. 2 Corinthians, the 8th chapter. Let's look at verse 1 and 2. If we wanted to put this in order to say, first, let's look at the grace that Christ shows to us, we would skip on later down in this chapter. But I've chosen for us to read these verses in order, and then once we read them and talk about them, you'll naturally see how it fits as it talks about the grace that God has shown to us, so the grace that others. Here we begin in, in uh, 2 Corinthians, the 8th chapter. You probably would help you to understand this a little bit better if you know this. This is a passage where the church in Jerusalem Going through a severe famine, churches all over the country were collecting uh, to give famine relief. And so Paul has asked them in the past to be collecting for this, and other churches were being a part of this, but apparently the church at Corinth was dragging their feet. They weren't doing exactly what Paul thought they ought to be doing. And so he's writing this in 2 Corinthians the 8th chapter and the 9th chapter to kind of say, hey, wake up. Get back on track. And he uses two examples that we'll mention today. One, he uses the example of the Macedonians. And the second thing he does is he uses the example of Jesus Christ to show them that they need to be doing this. Let's look now in the first two verses. We're in 2 Corinthians 8, chapter. He says, Moreover, brethren, we make known to you the grace of God. Now, wait just a minute. Is he going to talk about that Jesus Christ was sinned and died on the cross? No, not here. He's talking about another unmerited favor, a gift that they didn't deserve, but he gave it to them. And I dare say, if you've never studied this text, you're going to be shocked to see what the grace of God would provide and the condition that it would still leave Christians in. Notice this, 2 Corinthians, the eighth chapter. This may disturb us if we really start to recognize what it is, because some of us believe that Christianity means that life is made easy. You're going to find out from this text, that's not what the grace of God does. Moreover, brethren, we make known to you the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality. What did the grace of God do here? Paul says the grace of God was given to the churches of Macedonia. And you know what? they still remained in great pain or affliction. 
I'm going to skip a space here, okay? They also still remain in the depths of poverty. But in the middle of this pain and poverty that the grace of God left them in, I've got to accept that. The grace of God has never been given to make life easy. The grace of God has never been given to make life comfortable. The grace of God was given to the church in Macedonia and they remained in their pain and they remained in their poverty. But in the midst of their pain and poverty, they had deep joy and were able to abound in liberal giving. People can't do that on their own. It takes the grace of God to be able to do what we just studied. People that are in pain are in poverty, cannot, out of joy, liberally give. It takes the grace of God to be able to give in poverty. Let's skip down and let's see the plea that he makes as, as we read 7 through 9. But as you abound, see he's used the example of the Macedonians, now he's writing to those of Corinth, as you abound in everything... See, they're, living some, they're doing some good things in faith and speech and knowledge and all diligence and all your love for us. See that you abound in grace also. In other words, don't leave grace behind. Now, see, he's telling them now to share grace. He's talked about how grace was shown upon the Macedonians, and because of that grace that was shown by God, they were able to give graciously. And now he's saying, you've been abounding in your life in diligence and faith and love and knowledge. Now, abound also in grace. Abound in giving is what he's saying. So let's read on now, 8 and 9. He says, I speak not by commandment, but I am testing the sincerity of your love by the diligence of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. In other words, he had all of the heavenly blessings at his disposal and to enjoy, but he came to this earth as a person to live and to suffer and die, giving up the riches of heaven to live on this earth so that you and I could move from the poverty of this earth to the blessings of heaven. Do you see how the word grace is used several times there? The Macedonians, they received the grace of God in order to be able to give graciously. Jesus, as an example, Jesus, it was grace that he left earth, left heaven to come to earth so that we could enjoy heaven. And it was grace that Paul was saying, do it. Become gracious people. Friends, when we talk about grace for the journey, here we are and we're wanting to live a life that out of Galatians 5 is spirit-led. We want to live a life for the Lord. What do we learn from grace? We learn that God giving us Christ is a tremendous demonstration of grace. It's a gift. And God expects us to be people that are generous no ways giving. Friends, do you realize by the grace of God that when your life is over, you will probably have given far more than what you ever thought that you would be able to give? I don't think we need to pride ourselves and keep records and say, well, over a lifetime, I gave a half a million dollars or over a lifetime. 
But do you realize that a Christian that is giving on a weekly basis and giving to their neighbors and giving to people in need and supporting great works, giving weekly to the Lord's work, do you realize what a faithful Christian will give over a lifetime? It'd be amazing. Folks can't do that without the grace of God. It takes a tremendous impact from God for that to happen. Look with me, if you will, now to Ephesians, the first chapter. In Ephesians, the first chapter, let's read verse 7, and let's see another aspect of the grace of Jesus. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. Now, how did that happen? according to the riches of His grace. Flip over now to the fourth chapter in verse 32. The only way we could be saved was by the grace of God. That's the only way that through Christ that we can have salvation. So we can have the forgiveness of sins. Now what are we to do because we receive that? In 32 of the fourth chapter, and be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another. Why? Even as God in Christ forgave you. And so over and over we see passages that teach us to forgive. And the reason or the motivation for forgiving is because Christ is forgiving us. God has forgiven us. And so it is, we see that grace does what? Grace Offer salvation for you and I. God will forgive us of our sins. As Jesus prayed also that we would be forgiven of our trespasses as we forgive others of their trespasses, we too must realize that it's grace. It's the grace that we've received that we reflect to others that encourages us to forgive others also. Have you seen someone that holds a grudge? They will not forgive another person? Now, they will say things like, but you don't understand how they really hurt me. You don't realize the impact that their wrong has made in my life. Well, our wrong cost Jesus his life. And he gave it so that he could forgive us. And folks that have received that grace, I need to hear this loud and clearly. Folks that have received that grace offer the same grace to others. Folks that have received God's forgiveness offer forgiveness to others. Look with me, if you will, 2 Corinthians, the 12th chapter. 2 Corinthians, the 12th chapter. We've seen that the grace of God is a wonderful gift, and it teaches us to give. We've seen that the grace of God offers forgiveness, and it teaches us to forgive. Now let's think as... We look here at another passage that the grace of God gives tremendous strength and it teaches us how we can find our strength to be strong in times of weakness. Second Corinthians, the 12th chapter, is a very interesting passage where Paul is writing. He's had an experience that no one else has ever had. He's seen up into the third heavens, but he's seen things that God won't allow him to utter the very things that he has seen. But now, apparently because of that blessing and also because of the wonderful abilities and opportunities that Paul has had, God knows that you can put too much on any man. In other words, pride will end up setting in. And so the Lord allows a thorn in the flesh to stay in the life of Paul. Paul wants that thorn removed. 
But here Paul is told that if I remove that thorn, you're going to be puffed up with pride. So I'm going to have to use that thorn. I'm going to have to let it stay in order to be able to use you. Now let's read here as we read in 2 Corinthians, the 12th chapter. Look at verse 9. Concerning this thing, that's the thorn in the flesh that he's been asked about removing. He says, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproach, in needs, in persecutions, in distress for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Notice as he wants this removed. No doubt he's believing that he could do more for God if, if this was removed. And the Lord says, wait a minute. That's when my strength is made perfect. Or in other words, that's when my strength is complete. God's strength is complete when it's coupled with a heart that's willing to fully submit to his will. And you and I could say, you know, but if I didn't have this situation in my life, I could do more for God. You know what God's saying? You do what you can do in the situation you're in. And my strength is fulfilled. It's made complete. You can say, you know, if I just had... <coughs> If I just had other abilities, I could do more for the Lord. I wish the Lord give me this ability. And the Lord would say, you take what you have and you submit your life to me and you be used in my service. And that's when what you believe is your weakness is made complete because of my strength. You know, if you think about it, probably all of us have areas of our body that we look at and we say, well, it's weak. Maybe you say I have weak ankles. Maybe you say I have a, a weak knee. I, I'm getting old. And my left knee has been letting me know it for the last year or so. But this last six months has really let me know it. And just the other day, Colton and I were uh, picking up something, and it was odd. We, I was stepping over something and, and reaching down to pick it up, and Colton was getting the other end. And, and as I went to pick up, I said, wait a minute. I said, I can't do that anymore. And it wasn't that heavy, but I just can't do anymore with this knee. And so I said, you come down closer. I want him to get more of the weight. I said, you come down closer and, and you pick it up down in here and I'll help you. And, and you know what? We completed the job. But this knee has carried a lot more weight lately. And then I have friends and family around me that sometimes carries more weight lately. And you know what? I can't think of anything that I've wanted to do or get accomplished that I couldn't get accomplished in spite of the weakness. If you and I ever see our life as alone, we're missing grace. Grace is where God says, as a team, you and I can accomplish everything that I want us to accomplish. Where you think that you're giving all that you have, but yet it's not enough. The Lord says, I can pick it up right there and I can supply the rest. Grace for the journey. Christ was given for us. And when we really accept that, we generously give because of grace. The Lord has forgiven us of our sins 
And when we accept that, we forgive others. There's not anyone here strong on their own merit. Every one of us are weak. But we can fully submit our will to our God. He'll forgive us. And He'll create in us a new creation. So that in spite of our weaknesses, when we say, this loss is more than I can bear, this limitation is more than I can bear, this struggle is more than I can bear, that's when Christ steps in even closer and says, I'll carry more of the weight. I'll share the load. We can bear this. No wonder Paul would end and begin every epistle with a plea for grace. This morning, it's not all up to you. And if it was all up to you or any of us, we'd be in trouble. God's grace is offered to us. We all make mistakes. God's grace wants to reach out to us. The question this morning is, do you want to receive that gift? We have to decide if we want to receive that gift. And if you are a believer that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and, and you as a believer are willing to repent of sins, turning away from sin and to God, are you willing to confess before men and be baptized into Christ for the remission of those sins? Won't you do that this morning? As while you're in the waters of baptism, the grace of God is removing the guilt of your sin. You come out of that water a new creation ready to live a new life in that new relationship with your father and with your brother Christ. If you've come up out of that water and you began that new life and something has separated you, you've lost sight of God and you've missed the grace that gave you a new life, won't you come back to him? He's a gracious God, a gracious God that always keeps his arms open and he wants you so desperately to come home. You need to confess sin and let's pray forgiveness. If we can help you in any way, come as we stand as we sing.